0: Welcome to Wines We Drink, a podcast for wine lovers and learners. I'm Charlotte Norsworthy, and together with my counterpart, Keith Herndon, we'll be exploring a new wine each week. Keith is a lover of wine, and I am a learner of wine. We hope you'll learn and sip along with us, too. to Wines We Drink, the podcast where we talk about wine for all of those wine learners and lovers in the audience. I am joined by my co-host Keith Herndon, but I must add, Keith, that today is a bittersweet occasion.
1: Charlotte, yes, it is a bittersweet day, but we're not talking about the flavor of the wines (laughs) we're drinking today. Today is our last episode in our 2021 Summer Fun Project. School is back in session And we're returning to the classroom this week.
0: Yeah, it's so difficult to believe that the summer has flown by. I mean, when we started this back in early June, we promised our listeners 12 episodes talking about delicious wines. Keith, you've called it a case of episodes. So today we're drinking the last bottle.
1: Yeah, it has flown by, uh, but it's been an incredible journey exploring wines with you and simply talking about the joy we can find in a really good bottle of wine. I've always maintained that wine is supposed to be fun, and I hope we've conveyed that message to our listeners this summer. Oh,
0: I think, I think so. I, we've presented such a great variety of wines from all over the world, and that's been nothing but fun, at least to me. Last week, we were on location at the Heirloom Cafe with Chef Jessica Rothaker and drank a wonderful Australian rosé with her. If you missed that episode, please go to wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll find it there along with the complete case of episodes.
1: (laughs) So, you know, we end each uh, episode with a wine word, and and last week's wine word was blend, which described the Australian rosé we drank last week. Uh, It was primarily a Shiraz but featured several other varietals such as Zinfandel, Grenache, and Tempranillo. But I also chose that wine word to end last week's episode because it set up today's episode.
0: Well, then what have you selected for us today?
1: We, we began our tasting uh, back in episode two with a Cabernet Sauvignon from my favorite Napa Valley winery, Maryvale. So today we're revisiting that winery as we drink a fabulous red blend that they have labeled Forward Kid. From the very first time I tasted this wine with the twenty twenty with the 2012 vintage, uh, I've been a fan. In, in fact, I call it my house wine. And at last check, I had about a case and a half of it, including several bottles from the 2013 and the 2015 vintages. Today, we're drinking one of the 2015 vintage.
0: Forward, kid. I mean, that's a strange name for a wine. Where did Maryvale come up with that?
1: Well, you know, this is a wine that pays homage to the terroir of Napa Valley. And if you want to understand terroir, go back and listen to the first episode where that was our our wine word. Uh, in fact, the the tagline on the published tasting notes calls it Napa Valley from the ground up. So the name comes from the name of the soil type. In the vineyards where the grapes are grown, it's the forward gravelly loam and the kid loam, some of Napa's you know typical soil types that are known for draining well, right? So the the, the winery maintains that this well-drained soil, along with its management of the vines canopy, uh, quote focuses the vines energy on the fruit, producing intense, concentrated berries full of flavor. End quote.
0: Wow, well, even though this bottle of wine is named after dirt, <laughs> intense berry flavor sounds promising, and I'm all in for giving it a shot. Let's get started. Go ahead yes. and pour some. So,
1: I'm gonna pour some. Uh, we've had this wine decanting for about a half an hour. Um, uh, you know, it, it's uh, it's definitely a, a, a red wine, and, and I like to decant all red wines, at, at least for uh, a, a period of, of time. Uh, something like this one, uh, I think a half an hour to an hour is a, is an appropriate amount of time to give it some uh, time to breathe and to, and to kind of unwind from being in the bottle.
0: Well, and as you're pouring it, I mean, it is such a rich, like, blood red color. I mean, it is, again, just a true red in that it's wonderfully opaque, um, but it's not necessarily... As brown as some of the earlier wines, it's not as translucent as some of the other reds. I mean, it is. Whenever you think red wine, this is what I picture.
1: Yeah, this is a very dark, um, you know, color. It, it's it's not as translucent, obviously, as a Pinot Noir. It's much more on the far end of the spectrum, I think, in terms of opaqueness with the Cabernet Sauvignon.
0: I'm gonna give it my swirl and sniff.
1: Yes. So, what are some of the what are some of the odors, the flavors, the aromas that you that you sense there?
0: Well, immediately you get that sort of familiar boldness that comes with these darker red wines. But I mean, really, what comes quite immediately are these rich berry flavors. I mean, we've described other wines, other dark red wines as maybe jammy, um, you know, and we're harkening back to some darker berries, so blueberries, blackberries. Um, you know that's definitely what's coming to my to my nostrils here.
1: Well, I think you wrote the tasting notes oh, because uh, <laughs> the official tasting notes that you get with this uh, wine is with aromas of blackberry, blueberry, and dark cherry. This is a dark purple wine in color. Wow! Right? You know? So
0: love it, love it. Right. Patting myself on the back here, people.
1: <laughs> well, it's the last episode. I, I think mean, you've I picked might as well be wine. an expert. <laughs> yeah, you've picked up some wine, some wine tasting knowledge over the course of these uh, this long this long hot summer.
0: Yes, with your help. I'm gonna so have in. a
1: good have a good taste.
0: Okay. Wow. So right immediately, those berries. I mean, they are so identifiable they are not muted in any stretch I mean they feel very refreshing in a way uh which is unique I mean I don't think I've described any other red wines that way you get the lovely tannins you know the drying sensation that comes after that and then you know something quite opposite of like a sweet berry flavor almost like a savory sensation at the end and maybe that's some spices coming through
1: Absolutely, uh, you know. I think you, you mentioned the tannins, but I think this this wine and the blend that they've chosen, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But um, but the blend of this, the tannins are soft; mm-hmm. they're not overpowering. It's not astringent, um, and 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 I think that um, you know the the moderate acidity you get with this wine uh, just makes it a very very palate pleasing uh, wine to drink. Uh, you mentioned that it. Um, ends with some kind of savory, uh, the official tasting notes refer to that as baking spices.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: You know, and, and I think you pick some of that up from the aging process in the barrels.
0: Mm-hmm. No, right? I think that that's absolutely accurate. And uh, the baking spices really complement the berries rather well. I mean, you know, pictured your favorite blueberry pie or something. You know, that's kind of uh, those, those flavors are married together in the baking world.
1: Right. So have another big giant taste of this and then see how you think it finishes on the on the palate.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the softness of the tannins. And so it definitely has a soft finish. It's not a hard swallow. It finishes just so smoothly um, to the point where your palate is nice and refreshed and ready for another sip.
1: I I think that, um, um, the winemakers have just chosen a really nice, um, a really nice set of grapes to put together and, and they're doing it in, in such a way that everything is harmonized and the tannins are softened, the barrel aging comes through and gives it some of that, you know, that oak flavors that you would expect, some of that, that that toastiness, if you will, Mm -hmm. at the end, but, but nothing is, nothing is, uh, is over, is overpowering. No,
0: I think that that, that's exactly right. It's, it's nothing too much. It's a very drinkable red wine and one that feels pretty accessible. I mean, for someone like me who hasn't had a ton of experience in red wine and is maybe intimidated by the darker reds, uh, this one feels very approachable.
1: Well, you know, with each vintage of Forward Kid, the winemakers change up the blend and they change up the barrel aging some, um, you know, it, it, it's a unique wine each time Merivale releases it. And uh, based on the, the tasting notes that I looked at for uh, the 2015 bottle, you know, it's about half Petite Syrah, which is at 47%. There's about 19% Mouvedre, 17% Syrah and 17% Malbec. And they've aged this in oak for about 12 months. About a third of that oak was in new French oak, which I think is contributing to some of those savory spice undertones that that we talked about, those baking spices, right, that comes through. It's really accentuating the petite Syrah and the Syrah that's in this blend.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're right. This wine has a lot of fruit flavors sort of all coming together, but then those spice notes, I don't know, they give it maybe a nice richness. Can I say that? Like in sure. the last episode, have I improved <laughs> on my wine vocabulary? Is that kind of accurate?
1: Absolutely on point. Even the winemaker's notes referred to this as a very rich wine. You know, um, but that's not referring to the price point. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not a super expensive wine, but it's not cheap either. You know, the going price on the Maryville site, uh, if you order it online, is uh, $50 a bottle. Uh, but club members get a deal from time to time. I've bought this for as little as $25 a bottle, and I found it online at some outlets for around $35. You know, the Vivino app rates this 2015 vintage as a top 2% of wine in the world. So, you know, even at a full listing price of $50, I still think you're getting a tremendous value uh, in this kind of a, a wine.
0: And it's, you know, a nice mid-level, even though it is a little bit pricier than maybe some of the other wines that we've talked about in uh, this case of episodes. It's still, again, you know, something that would be a great uh, special occasion wine. So even though this is our last episode of the summer, there's still some warm weather left. You know, us Georgians know that for sure. Uh, So how about this one for the barbecue?
1: You know, very much so. You know, those those tasting notes even hint at barbecue flavors in the spices. So, you know, this is a great wine to go with those grilled meats. And as summer fades into fall, you can bring along some Forward Kid for those football tailgates.
0: Oh, yeah, that's an excellent idea. All right, well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll be joined by Keith's very special guest, Dr. Clinton Lee, the executive director of the Asia Pacific Wine and Spirit Institute.
1: Welcome back to the show everyone. As we wrap up our 12th episode, I've invited my wine education mentor, Dr. Clinton Lee, to join us for a few minutes. Dr. Lee runs the Asia Pacific Wine and Spirit Institute where I've trained. Dr. Lee, you've been a great inspiration for my wine education journey. So I'd like you to tell our listeners about your wine education philosophy.
2: Well, Keith, thank you very much for having me on your uh, podcast program. That's a real privilege. That's a huge question that you've asked me. And um, I gave it some deep thought in terms of where I came from and how it all began and what was the catalyst. So coming from um, you know Africa, you know, my, my late mother was from Mozambique. And my father was from China. So having that Chinese origin, there was clearly a mixture of the Eastern, but also the Western influence, which really made me as a hybrid. Education for me was placed at a very high level in terms of what was expected of us. And we really had to learn about the different cultures and the people Now traditionally wine education has focused on grapes, the grape varietal, the regions, how wine is made. But I find that far too restrictive because in my experience and having traveled as vastly and broadly as I have and meeting people from different areas and places, wine represents and it encompasses the people themselves, the geography, where they uh, habit habit, uh, in terms of their livelihood, the history that they represent. But more importantly, it's the tradition and the values. And that encapsulates itself into a very holistic and and it's very expressive. It's like life itself. When we meet someone, we are really meeting the whole package, where they are, what they do, where they come from. And that could be the same with wine. So in terms of wine education philosophy, I, I certainly am a very strong subscriber, supporter, that we should, when learning, be very open. We need to understand and embrace culture, geography, history, cultural awareness, and truly it's learning for the future, not just memorizing names, places, um, figures, and statistics. And certainly in today's age, learning is, is taking and undergoing a dramatic change where education has to be very practical, It has to be relevant and it needs to cause awareness, both for the student and for the lecturer when they encapsulate both of their surroundings and their experiences. So for me, learning is never ending and um, it is truly evolving continuously.
1: Well, I know from my own personal experiences with your courses and, and being deeply engaged with the uh, Asia Pacific uh, Wine and Spirit Institute, uh, you've definitely incorporated that, that cultural element into the courses. And, and I think that, that, uh, that comes through. <clears throat> so when you think about wine education or, 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 or just learning about wine in general, what do you think is a big misconception that people have about wine that they need to overcome in order to get the most out of their wine experiences
2: that is an excellent question keith and thank you for that because one of the questions i'm always asked what is the best wine that you have tried and my response is i've yet to try it <laughs> because there is it's very difficult to pinpoint one particular wine there are too many variables that one should consider. So the misconception is there's a right wine, there is the perfect wine, it is what we should drink, it is what other people are telling us what we should drink. I don't believe that is possible. And the reasons I I say that is if we allow ourselves to fall into that category, we are limiting our excitement to explore. We are reducing our sense to be adventurous. Uh, We are not wanting to be curious. And if you're not curious and you're not adventurous and you're not exploring, well, you're going to ask fewer and fewer questions. I'll give you an example. We often hear, well, you know, the Italians, the French, the Spanish, Their wines are supreme, albeit that is also a true statement. And I love their wines very much. But we need to be aware that the wines that are made in those countries are made in such a way that they match the cuisine of those countries. And you must remember that the French, the English, the Italians, more so the Spanish, they had empires, global empires, and they took with them their wines, their cuisine. So therefore it's only natural that there is still remnants of that. However, the drinkers, the new generation, they are more into a different style. So all I am suggesting is don't be limited. You are the best judge, of what you like how you like and do not be overly influenced if anything encourage your own sense of exploration that's what i would say to them
1: that's fantastic and and uh, i you know we could we could spend hours uh talking about the rich history and traditions of a lot of the traditional um you know, wine countries and the traditions associated with wine, but but rather than than looking back, let's look forward for a bit. H- how do you describe the future of wine? The way you see it? Well, last I saw, um, Keith, my crystal ball broke.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 Doctor Lee. However, crystal ball, right? <laughs> however, I, I I would like to perhaps offer some um, thoughts that I have. If you read media and uh, articles and um, what, what, what is capturing people's interest now, we start hearing more and more and more about organic wine, biodynamic wine, orange wine, blue wine, alcohol-free wine. We're now even hearing, well, you should support this wine because it belongs to a certain category, like like a BIPOC. And I think we're going to get more and more segmentation of this style of wines, as opposed to be, just say, well, it's a red wine or a white wine or it's a rose wine. It will be further sub-segmented, is my belief. And this will be influenced um, by the next generation. You know, the boomers are, steadily sadly reducing in number and uh, while we while they may have made the mark the new generation the x the y the z the millennials their cuisine their taste palettes are moving more into fusion they are embracing certain aspects they are more particular so whereas now we as potential buyers, so I've looked at the future in terms of the wine itself, now I've expressed the taster, the actual appeal of wine, it's no longer, it's certainly diminishing the power of points, the power of stars, the new media, which is impressively powerful and uh, devastatingly effective, is moving into podcasts like this, we are having TikTok, we're having social media, and um, I believe the future, A, the style of wine will change, the, um, the tasters themselves will define that, and the methodology of how they're reaching the actual consumer.
1: A, a little bit of a follow-up to that. Um, do, do you see that uh, climate change... Um, has any effect on, on where uh, specific types of wine is gonna be grown and, and regions that we've associated with a typical wine uh, may be changing in, in terms of, of what kind of grapes that can be grown in these places?
2: Significantly, um, I wrote a paper on this probably seven, eight years ago, and uh, a very good example would be England. Uh, that is experiencing a renaissance of sorts with their sparkling wine. Uh, 20 years ago, it would be unheard of that uh, the southern part of uh, England would be producing not just sparkling wine, but world-class sparkling wine. Uh, Here in Canada, uh, the Okanagan Valley, uh, the, the limit used to be in an area called Kelowna, and now The growing areas have moved 200 kilometers north. And it's not unheard of that we're starting to hear of uh, certain uh, Nordic countries that are also beginning to field representative uh, grapes that um, are starting to be welcomed. It has been well documented that Bordeaux will see more of the uh, vineyard growing areas to be moving further north and as a result of that just recently in Bordeaux they've allowed on the left bank new grape varietals that were previously not permitted and one of those would be Torrigo Nacional, which is a grape that enjoys enormous amount and performs extremely well With great heat. So definitely this global change and climate warming is is having an effect.
1: I certainly appreciate that uh, explanation. Uh, Dr. Lee, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to talk with us today as we close out our first seasons, uh, first season of the wines we drink. And uh, thanks again for all of the support you've given me in my personal wine education journey.
2: Well, it's been my utmost pleasure and privilege to share this journey and adventure with you, Keith, and uh, congratulations.
1: Thank you. So uh, thanks, everyone. We're going to take a short break, and I'll be back in a moment with Charlotte to put the finish on Season 1 of The Wines We Drink.
0: a fascinating conversation you had with Dr. Lee. What a great way for us to bring this season to a close,
1: Charlotte. It's been wonderful to share this summer fun project with you. If you had to say, what's the number one thing you've learned about wine from the summer of drinking so many great ones?
0: Oh man, that's tough. But I think because I've obviously learned so much as a novice, I've had the benefit of learning a ton uh, in this past case of episodes. I think the main thing that I've learned is to just have lots of fun with wine and to just enjoy enjoy the experience every wine has a story to tell you create your own stories when you try new ones and you build off of other stories when you reopen your favorites and i think that that is uh, quite a beautiful thing so we've ended all of our episodes so far with a wine word keith what is the wine word to close out our case of episodes
1: charlotte i'm going to keep it simple and with the theme of our show this summer and you just mentioned it. Our wine word today is fun. Simply put, the wines we drink should be fun. We've talked a lot this summer on the podcast and through our social media posts about wine education. And yes, I have embraced about learning about wine and, and, and making you know that a part of, of who I am. But in learning about wine, you shouldn't lose sight of why wine is enjoyable. It makes our meals better it warms up our friendships, and it can transport our senses to far-flung places around the globe. If you think back to that very first episode where we talked about the word terroir, I mean, it means, you know, of the place and the sense of the place. And I believe those really wonderful wines where the winemakers taken care to really transport us to their vineyard, right? So yes, today's wine word is fun because that's how I see wine. It's simply fun.
0: <laughs> that's really a fantastic description, and I love how you described the fact that wine transports you. I mean, wine requires you to be present in that moment, and I think that that's one of the one of my favorite takeaways from from doing this with you. So, thank you so much for today's wine word, and that you know certainly sums up what this whole summer has been about. We've been having a lot of fun, and we've been learning a lot about wine.
1: And I want to thank you for being a great show partner. Uh, Wines we drink would not have happened without you, Charlotte.
0: Well, thanks so much, and thanks to you, our audience, for coming along with us on The Wines We Drink. That's a wrap for this Summer Fun Project. Our case of 12 episodes is complete.
1: Thanks, Charlotte. Thanks, Thanks, everyone.
0: everyone. (laughs) Oh, jinx. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to Wines We Drink. Listen to our other episodes anywhere you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter, at Wines We Drink, and Instagram, at the wines we drink. Cheers.